This is Blockbuster Film School Office Hours. Blockbuster Film School Office Hours. It's Blockbuster Film School Office Hours. Office Hours. Office Hours. Hey everybody, welcome to the Blockbuster Film School. It is great to have you once again. It is time for fabulous office hours for you. I am Alex Bonner, one of your fabulous hosts, joined by the very handsome, very talented Mr. Nicholas Souter. Yeah. Time that out perfectly. Now Brian can edit everything. He's drinking a Bud Light Lime right now. It's a Bud Light Lime seltzer. (laughs) Bud Light Lime is disgusting. It is an abomination. Monster. When will Four Loco come back is really what I want to know. I think White Claw Extreme is out now, so that's real. That's Four Loco. <laughs> Finally. A drink for the people by the people. A drink for the people by Brett Butler. <laughs> if you were in the band Poison. Oh, God. We also have the extremely talented, he doesn't have a microphone this time for some reason, super producer Brian Tepps. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Well, Brian, it's nice to see you. Well, team, we're doing an office hours for you. It's a wall of soundtracks. Me and Nick are going to have a couple of picks of movies that we feel have the best soundtracks eh, or just our favorite picks of ours. If you want a movie that has some killer tunes in it, sometimes these movies are horseshit, but they have great soundtracks. Sometimes they're really great movies made even better by how killer the pop music put into those films are. And we're going to talk about it here in a minute. Because it's an office hours, it's going to be a little quicker. We don't have the usual caveat, but I'll put it this way. Before any of these, what was the first movie soundtrack you ever bought? Oh, can I lie? Yes. I'll tell the truth. (laughs) We never lie on Blockbuster Film School. Just to preface, the first album I ever bought was Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses on cassette. Okay. Having said that, (laughs) the first soundtrack I ever bought, also on cassette, was Batman Forever. Holy shit. Yeah. That is a solid one. Did that have Seals Kiss from a Rose on it? I believe it's it. Had Seals Kiss from a Rose, had The Offspring. You do remember. Had U2, <laughs> Tricky, PJ Harvey, Method Man. It had a great B-side. Yes. But everything got eclipsed by Heidi Klum's ex-husband. <laughs> that is a great way to put Seal. Yeah, I couldn't think of his name. <laughs> that song is ridiculous, but for some reason... If you weren't born in the 90s, Seal's Kiss from a Rose just would pop on the radio. And then for some reason, you wouldn't turn it off. It It was the original coronavirus. (laughs) Everybody had it. It just infected Even if they they knew they had it, this one day turned around like, oh, I have no taste. And it was weird. Some people were fine, but some people died from Seal's Kiss from a Rose. Yeah. That is a very fair point. 103,000 people died (laughs) because of Seal. (laughs) What if? Too soon? What about you, Alex? My... Thank you for asking, Nick. My first soundtrack that I ever bought was the soundtrack to the sequel to the movie The Crow called Crow City of Angels, which I bought on CD. And because it had that whole cover of Gold Dust Woman, which was on MTV, the video of it a lot. And I like that song. Also on the box. Yes. Hey, old people, remember the box? Or much music. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) There used to be entire channels based around music videos. Yeah. Now they're called less music. Some of your favorite directors started with music videos 
And now you may not even have favorite directors because where are they going to come from? Who knows? They just have to be somebody's craft mac and cheese commercials. <laughs> Dave Franco. Well, as we've already illustrated, sometimes movies had great soundtracks. There was an entire era where studios would try to cut their losses on bad movies by licensing a bunch of music and putting them into movies. That was particularly big in the 90s when CDs and at one point in the late 80s cassettes were around and you could actually make money as a movie studio slash record company with the selling of hard copies of soundtracks. Now you can a little bit with vinyl, but really it's more downloads and things like that. And But there was a point where... Bruce Springsteen wrote the theme song for Philadelphia. Yes. And Jerry Maguire two years later. And both of those soundtracks blew the fuck up. Blew the fuck. Yeah, and that's the one from Jerry Maguire. That's right. It's so weird. It was also about AIDS for some reason. It didn't really make sense. Because of what's her face. (laughs) Also, Free Fallen, which I like Tom Petty a lot. And I think Free Fallen is the worst Tom Petty song. But for some reason, it's the stupidest one because I think... And stupid in the way that it is still around more than any of the Tom Petty songs because of that Jerry Maguire soundtrack. I didn't realize it was on there. Oh, yeah. He sings it. He's free falling when he leaves. Oh, my God. I'm free falling. Fucking hate that. Directly into Scientology's main command. Something like that, right? That's how that song goes. Shout out to the Ghost Ship episode of Bob's Burgers. They have the best dialogue where Bob is on the phone and. (laughs) The dude who's in the restaurant is like, what do they play? And what are you listening to? It's Tom Petty. It's like, oh, what is it? Was it free falling? Is it free falling? It's like, no, it's like waiting is the hardest part. Oh, they're playing the hits. <laughs> Just a real conversation about two guys who have nothing to do listening to music on hold. <laughs> if they played the waiting is the hardest part, that would be, that would be hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's on Brett. That's too smart that whatever weird nefarious companies make the music that you have to listen to when you're on hold at AT&T and are literally thinking to yourself like, I don't want to kill myself, but should I? I don't know. Is civilization doomed? I don't know. It's just a thought that just traces through your head one time whenever you're on hold. I'm sorry. It just does. It's just the way it works. Only when I'm on hold. (laughs) Well, team, we're going to have three picks. Me and Nick are going to pick a couple of picks. Now, we're going to talk about some other soundtracks we like as we go along. Maybe give you some other ideas. Maybe Super Producer Brian Taps will give us some hand signals of things he likes. Okay. <laughs> there has unfortunately not no been a one, movie that no, is exclusively Nine Inch Nails, but at some point, maybe one day, when are they going to make that terrible movie? Also, I have to toss this out there before we even do this. I know there have been a few that are pretty good, but the music biop, the biop of the famous musicians are some of the worst movies ever made. Dog shit. Uh, Absolutely th- horrible. There are some that are strangely... Dewey Cox, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story is maybe the best and is a full on mockery of those movies. I apologize if your favorite movie is about a famous musician who had to go through the trouble of a lot of times having a terrible childhood. But then the problem with those is that then they got famous and very rich. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so what's the rest of this movie? My dad was the T-1000 and then I became rich by writing songs about lines and shooting people. I wouldn't give a fuck. That's why the third act of those movies is very difficult. They're terrible. <laughs> well, these do, oh, and then their lives became so much better. Oh, no. He had to be Elton John after that. What? Uh, what? Uh, uh, his friend, Princess Diana, died. Uh, okay. 
I didn't spoilers. I haven't seen the movie. He had to go through a lot of yeah. being super wealthy and wearing sparkly clothes. I wish I had the money and the drugs to do that. <laughs> I would be fucking. I would ruin everyone's day everywhere I went. And his secret boyfriend, Tom Cruise, pretended he wasn't gay. I mean, that is tough. That is tough. Did you see this movie? Just... No, I've not seen any of it. Okay, but. I did see the dirt, which maybe is the only one that I actually <laughs> liked out of any of them because it was nonsense. I don't know. But at least that was a joke. They were making a joke. They were self-aware. They were making fun of themselves. See, that's the problem I have. With- okay. Anyway, this is a whole different thing. Anyway, we went off on a tangent. It's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall. <laughs> Nick, what is your first pick in no particular order? In no particular order. Yes. But this is definitely last. (laughs) So I'm going off of not only is it a great soundtrack, Mm -hmm. but how it is presented in the film itself. Mm -hmm. That's basically my big thing for this. Oh, interesting. The soundtrack for this movie, which I love this and I buy it every time I find it somewhere used. Really? Not Hellraiser 2. But... (laughs) Literally, it's taking up the entire studio. There is a stack right here. It is. There's, there's also a couple of heads behind it. Um, <laughs> We're just going to brick the outside exterior of the house oh, in Hellraiser 2 VHS. This is, not, this is real. This is a great um, idea, actually. So this soundtrack, which sadly does contain a lot of Moby, but it's okay because he did the score, so his songs just sort of blend in. You don't notice. But the rest of the soundtrack has Radiohead, Elbow, Blur, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, one of my favorite bands, Muse, the Pixies, and then, of course... I'm guessing like 2005, somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe just... Something like that, yeah. Yeah. But my favorite scene in this movie is Justin Timberlake covered in blood, hallucinating <laughs> on drugs, walking around a... Well, the killers. Yes. Uh, Dave and Buster's type deal. <laughs> someplace where you win tickets. An arcade. Arcade, ski ball shit. And there's like women doing choreographed dance as he lip syncs to the killers. All the things I've done. It's Southland Tales. The movie is so bad. I love it. It's like, it's one of those movies that's so bad. I remember where I was. Ooh, where were you? I was in my parents' house. It was <laughs> not a big deal. I saw a lot of movies there. Uh, but I, it was for. <laughs> no, I set myself up for that fucking dumb answer. <laughs> but it was like 4.30 in the morning. I couldn't sleep. And this movie caught it 20 minutes in. And I would always make everybody watch the movie 20 minutes in. Because... This movie is so bad. If you miss the first half hour, it might have been 27 minutes. I have no idea. It doesn't fucking matter because they just keep repeating everything that's going on because it's so not confusing, but it just doesn't make any goddamn sense. It's no. so fucking bad. But the music is great. Mm. It's directed by the guy from who did Donnie Darko, Dick Richard Kelly. E. Kelly. Yeah. yeah. But the best part of the movie is Justin Timberlake lip syncing a really good song off that first Killers album. It is true. Also, Lovitz being a tough police officer. Yeah, there's a scene in this where... (laughs) There's a lot of against type. Yeah, so they walk in to uh, a performance art thing that's supposed to, like, make the cops look bad and take down, like, fucking, you know, Homeland Security and shit. And then what's supposed to be a prop gun, John Lovitz actually shoots Amy Poehler and... (laughs) Another actor. I think it was Avon Barksdale, too, was the other guy. Oh, it might have been. I don't remember. Yes, I think so. But um, 
yeah, John Lovitz going against type as the tough cop. Yeah. There's a scene where he's in this movie with Sherry O'Terry. Six members from the worst years of Saturday Night Live were in this movie. <laughs> and he walks up behind her and puts his hands around her neck and goes, you want to watch a movie or fuck? I'm like, okay, this is the dumbest thing ever. If Lovitz showed up with like a gun and literally started pistol whipping me, I would still not It'd know still what to funny. do. I still wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. Like, what? Oh, I'm sorry, what is happening now? Also, his hair is dyed blonde in this movie. Yes. The only movie he has bright, bleached blonde <laughs> hair. And that he isn't Lovitz. He's trying to, like, make me yeah. believe that I'm to be terrified of John Lovitz. There's a scene where he's chasing after <laughs> Buffy and then just starts firing into a crowd. Yes. Also, I'm glad you brought this. You mentioned it. Dickie Kelly directed and wrote Donnie Darko, which also had a great soundtrack. Yes, it did. And it was on my short list a little bit. I, yeah. I'm not going to. But and at one point was a darling in the up and coming directors. And that point ended when he made this movie. Yes. Wow. He made Donnie Darko a big indie hit and then they gave him money and he made Southland Tales, Southland Tales, which he spent a lot of the money on the soundtrack. And getting Justin Timberlake. Yeah. And it is. Justin Timberlake, The Rock, Sarah Michelle Gellar. The Rock. Mandy Moore, John Larroquette, (laughs) Kevin Smith. uh, Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler. (laughs) Sherry O'Terry. It's insane. The other one. The fat guy from Mad TV who lost all the weight. Will Sasso. (laughs) Wallace Shawn. The weird lady from fucking Poltergeist. And then... Sean William Scott. I know. Christopher Lambert. Christopher yeah. Lambert. Highlander. Chris, La- Highlander. There you go. <laughs> Christopher Lambert. Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. Is me, Christopher Lambert. He literally spends the entire movie driving around in an ice cream truck with one version of Sean William Scott hostage. I- it's about time travel and clones and going to the future. 69 seconds. They make that joke. Three Over times. and oh, do you get it? 69. Do you guys get it? 69. By Ling. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Like if you've never seen Southland Tales, also an era of blockbuster when I worked there, there were a lot of copies of it. We had a lot of copies to rent. Let's put it that way. You could rent one for sure. It was definitely not checked out. Nope. You could get one. But I do think you should see Southland Tales. It's one of those movies that is, you should see it. It's not good. Not at all. But the soundtrack's good. Yeah. I agree. Any other Southland Tales thoughts? Yeah, real fast. Yeah, Dickie Kelly had such a grandiose idea that the prequel for this movie, I don't know why I needed a prequel because he didn't need the first act, was a three-part graphic novel. I bought the first part. Yeah. I can't find parts two and three anywhere. I don't give a shit. I bet you there's a bunch of boxes of them at Dickie Kelly's house. They're in his garage. (laughs) Or in a storage space. In a... Somewhere in the Van Nuys area. But for 10 years, it was at his mom's house. And she's finally like, get this out of here. Get this out of here. It's a bit of a shame, too, because I did think the guy had some talent. I don't know what happened. I'm assuming drugs would be my guess. I'm assuming just getting the chance to make a big movie. And a lot of things. People misinterpret Donnie Darko. Yeah. And I think he misinterpreted his own genius Mm. and thought he was a genius and then made possibly the best and worst Spanish Telenueva movie <laughs> ever. It really was but like, like a goddamn Telenueva. Telenuevas, they know the importance of 40 minutes tight with mm. commercials. Yeah, that movie's like two and a half hours long. Oh, my God. There's so much movie. I don't even know why it's there. Yeah, it's a slog. You slog through. Yes, you do. 
I'm going to do my number three. In no particular order. In no particular order. It's less of a slog. It's from 1998. It's one of my absolute favorite soundtracks and weirdly one of my favorite movies still back when this director had talent or I suppose was not completely surrounded by sycophants. The entire soundtrack was based on British invasion of 60s and 70s bands that were from England that came into America. And a lot of them are not the usual stuff. There are a few stone songs, but there's some really great stuff of bands that I had never heard of. And also the kinks, some really great deep cuts of the kinks. It's a movie called Rushmore directed Mm. by Wes Anderson. This is on my short list too. Oh man. It is such an amazing soundtrack. Even the beginning it's Wes Anderson's first real. He had made bottle rocket, which was a totally independent movie. And then James L. Brooks, who was kind of the big money hand and, you know, executive producer for The Simpsons, just liked his movies and started giving him money. And I thought Rushmore was an amazing movie. I still like it a lot. It's very different in that way from Southland Tales. It is exactly 90 minutes long. It is a really wild romantic comedy that is heartfelt and poetic. And I feel like the soundtrack adds to that, but also like Bill Murray's amazing in it. And the kid who was Dennis, the menace. And I mean, Schwartzman, it's his first movie and he literally is Max Fisher. It feels like a French new wave movie that was made by John Hughes or something. I can't really describe it enough, but I don't know. Nick, what do you think of Rushmore? Rushmore is kind of a perfect movie and it's hard for me to say anything about it because also Tannenbaum's yeah. amazing fucking soundtrack. Agreed. Same thing with Life Aquatic. He had Agreed. all the Bowie covers. Yeah. But Rushmore, just that Who song yeah. in the very beginning. Oh, yeah. No, no, that's not the Who song. What's the... Well, the Who song comes later. The Who and- song comes later when he does the bees. What's the first song when uh, he's, they're showing all of his... Um, I know you're going to ask me this. I think the Yes song is very early on. Yeah. And- they're showing all of the clubs he's in. Yes. Yeah. It's an amazing movie. I honestly, I can't tell if it's as good as I remember oh, from is. being nostalgic, but I think it's both. Yeah. I think I just love how good that movie was. And like, I saw Bottle Rock at first because I flipped the fuck out. And yeah. I, I, I randomly saw that. I was like, this is amazing. And then Rushmore came out. I was like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Like I. Rushmore was the first one I ever saw of his. And I saw it in the theater and me and my dad would just go see Bill Murray movies when they came out. So we literally went to see it because Bill Murray was in it and I had no idea. And then a literal curtain opens on the movie and it was something else. And all of the cool imagery and then the music was just and then Mark Mothersbaugh does the score. So you have the amazing Mark Mothersbaugh score plus all this awesome like 60s, 70s English rock at the time. I had no outlet of finding this music. There was no YouTube. There was no Spotify. There was no way. And so all of a sudden, I immediately afterwards had to go buy the... That was definitely a CD that I had in my Discman when I would walk around and yeah. in high school and just listen to because it was so fucking good. Early Wes Anderson soundtracks were gateway drugs. Yes, absolutely. And it's a great way to, as we'll talk about, smooth over flaws in your movie. If your soundtrack, particularly in that era, was something else, it allowed your movie to maybe not be as good as 
it portrayed itself, I suppose, but it didn't matter because if you toss on an amazing like rock opus or something over top of it, instantly the scene becomes more interesting because someone else's art is enhancing your visuals. So that was my number three. Nick, what's your number two? In no particular order. My number two, speaking of the British invasion, it's not the British invasion. It's the British new wave invasion. Yeah. This is my favorite period of time of music. Ooh, like, I think I know what it is. Yes, you know what it is. So I wasn't it's post-punk, it's new wave, no wave. I am obsessed with all of this yes. shit. And my number two is 24-hour party people. Yes. A movie that is two films in one mm. with a soundtrack that just seamlessly blends amazing amount of music coming from Manchester. It's a fucking perfect fucking movie. Michael Winterbottom and our favorite actor, Steve Coogan. Yes. And the scene I want to talk about is they're in this hall. Okay. And Oh, it's so good. It's the gig that changed the world. Mm. It's June 4th, 1976, Manchester's Lesser Free Trade Hall. And the Sex Pistols are playing. They're playing No Fun. And there's only 24 people there. And everybody in the room goes on to do something great. So they have. Except for Mike the Postman. No, you, he's the best. <laughs> John the Postman. John, sorry. So in the thing, they have Howard DeVoto and Pete Shelley, who organized the gig. They're from the Buzzcocks. They have Peter Hook. And Ian Curtis, they are, at that point, they were Warsaw to become Joy Division, to become New Order. They have Martin Hannett, who's the only true genius. Well, one of two true geniuses in this movie. (laughs) And then Marky Smith of The Fall. And you got Mick Hucknell of Frantic Elevators and Simply Red. And one Stephen Patrick Morrissey, who would form the Smiths. And, of course, at the very end, Steve who goes, and John the Postman, he's a postman. (laughs) The soundtrack to this movie is flawless. Yes. It is a time capsule. This movie, oh my God, I got hard nipples just talking about it. It's two films. It's Joy Division. It's New Order. Joy Division starts off with all this energy and innocence and ends in tragedy. And then you have jaded Hopeful new rise, Phoenix, new order, and that also ends in tragedy. But seeing the face of God telling you, <laughs> you were right, things are going to be okay. What does God look like? Well, he looked like me. Yeah, fucking course he did. No, no, he's in my own image. Yeah. If God talked to you, he'd look like you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, and of course, later bands, including the Happy Mondays, who have yes. the title track to the movie... The Hacienda. Oh, man. This movie, Factory Records, if you care about new wave, no wave, punk music, post-punk, any cool shit, any place that you go into a bar and it's (laughs) super dark on purpose, you're like, oh, shit, I love this song. Watch this fucking movie. Agreed. It is such an amazing movie as well. It's a postmodern movie, like the music is, that they are self-reflexive. Sometimes it's kind of a documentary. Sometimes actual members of these things show up. Super meta. There's a scene where, in the part where they open the Hacienda, Steve Coogan goes into a van, gets a blowjob from a sex worker. (laughs) His wife catches him. And then she gets the other friend of theirs to bang around in the bathroom. And he catches them and he goes, that's full penetration. (laughs) I only got a blowjob. And then he walks away. And the real character that Steve Coogan is portraying goes, Well, I don't remember that happening. (laughs) Yeah. 
There's so many times where people turn to the camera and have this sort of totally meta, like that's not exactly how this works. Exactly, yeah. But it works so well. And so many cool actors are in it. Like I'm not trying to lead too much into maybe one of my picks, but it's something that John Hughes used a lot and particularly like Ferris Bueller and that you would turn to the camera and talk about music or talk about ideas. And, but they're actually doing it to tell a real story about real things yeah. and have real members actually be there to add that double level. And it's so it opens with a like a such a fucking like first act out of five act metaphor. Yes. Things where Steve Coogan's character is hang gliding. <laughs> and of course, he makes his Tony, Tony. Tony Wilson. Tony Wilson. And that's the, the other guy is Tony too. Yes. So he learns his middle name. That's the guy who gets some the blowjob from the hooker. But um, Icarus. Yes. He goes, this is a metaphor for Icarus. I flew too close to the sun. And then you're in it. And then also fucking the title cards to this, the opening credits. Yes. It's just pure perfection. Agreed. I love that movie. Yeah. And if you haven't seen 24-Hour Party People, you need to. Yeah. Also, Steve to Coogan. Quote, to quote a character from your previous pick, yes. pull your head out of your ass. <laughs> There's be girls there, Dad. But there are so many actors in it, too. I A lot of them are great character actors. But I have to say, Steve Coogan is one of our more, even though I know Steve Coogan is a big actor, in my mind, he is still underrated. I think Steve Coogan Absolutely. gets no credit that he should as being this person who can alternate between being sincere and dramatic and insanely funny and comedic just at the drop of a hat just in any moment steve coogan portrays everything just yeah. bizarrely realistically it's between this and hamlet too oh he should be like the british jim carrey he should be that big i think he might be in in england but yeah, in america we, we have no idea he's also had a longer <laughs> six also he's had more successful things than <laughs> Jim Carrey at this point, which by the way, I about money, I'm excited. No, 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 no. He's much closer to our fucking budget. The trip, though, also the trip. All movies, three of them, all yeah, are amazing, and I love Steve. Those Peter. are Michael Winterbottom too. Yes. If you, I don't think we've brought up Michael Winterbottom that no, much. Other that'd be a great this, episode. He would check out Nine Songs. Is literally it's a terrible movie. It's basically just people fucking going to concerts and then breaking up. So if you want to watch people have actual sex on screen while watching like the Danny Warhols and black robe motorcycle club play songs live. Yes. Watch nine songs. You know, what's crazy is I'm doing the transition here and we can keep talking no, no, about no, no, all these good, picks, but, but I, I have to, because what's wild is, is that 24 hour party people came out a little later, but it was around the same time. And I think was influenced as well by this movie. The original writer of the novel was British, but then an actor I like a lot, John Cusack took the novel, Nick Hornsby, Nick Hornsby and turned it into one of my favorite movies and also one of the great music movies in my mind and set it also very meta. Absolutely. And I'm saying extremely yeah. meta talks into the camera. And also you learn a lot about music in that movie because it is a super music nerd movie. And it is also one of my favorite soundtracks by leaps and bounds. It is a Stephen Frears classic called high fidelity, which came out in 1999. Also like, Oh, I don't know. Took a shot on a guy named Jack black, who was also a pretty good musician. And that was his first real movie role. I mean, he'd been in, you know, like demolition man and stuff. He'd been in tons of movies, but actually got to be a character. And I love high fidelity. And it is a movie about music 
for music nerds, but it also is a romantic expose of how weird your own life is and how weird the idea of romance is and the idea of how weird love is and how music might affect these concepts and they might affect your own personality and they might affect how you live your life. And I don't know if I've ever related more to a movie than I did to High Fidelity when I first saw it. And I still continue to, it may have fucked up my life. It may have turned me into an entire weirdo. I don't know, but that's the idea. Which came first, the music or the misery? We constantly are worried about kids with violent video games and drugs. We don't worry about children listening to thousands, literally thousands of hours about heartbreak and humiliation and destruction in our popular music. Nick, what do you think about High Fidelity? High Fidelity is a Chicago classic. Mm -hmm. Up until his geezer uh, (laughs) geezer action movies out on fucking Redbox. (laughs) I was a huge John Cusack fan. Same, same. Uh, And then, you know, he started making... But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, there's a 20 years and a whole lot of what the fuck happened between High Fidelity and that movie he made with Thomas Jane where they drive real fast. I know. He needs to embrace his old manness. He does. I mean, I he think he's still, be, he's still a great actor. He could be Bill Murray, but instead he's going for, I fucking have no idea. Like 25-year-old him. He yeah. He was trying to keep it going, and I just want to shake him and be like, no, man, just yeah, be like, old. Dude, be old John Cusack. Like, you can lose all your money like Nick Cage. Just fucking... <laughs> Just keep acting. <laughs> you still have all that sweet Chevy money from your voice being on those Chevy commercials. The movie is great. And there's literally a point where uh, I was in the restaurant one day and I turned to my coworker and I go, I will now sell three falafel sandwiches. <laughs> and I put on the beta band and he just goes, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, how have you not seen it? How have you not? There's so many good elements of, as you said, like parts of Chicago that are gone, a culture of Chicago that is gone, but it is still sort of there in spirit. And also just of an awesome way to find out about new music in that soundtrack. I learned about the beta band. I had never heard of them before before. and I had stiff little fingers. There's literally like so much. They picked up where your precious echo and the buddy band left off. There is so much. Fun mayhem. It's so funny. There's still parts that I like out loud laugh at, even though I know that things are coming. It's one of the wildest movies I've ever seen. And never been so happy to see people beat the piss out of Tim Robbins. Oh, my God. The part where they beat the shit out of Tim Robbins is amazing. It is amazing. Like, why don't you get your patchouli stink out of my store? Also, the idea that they would own that random local morons would own a store that big in Chicago is now a great, sad tragedy uh, that they would just sell records. I hired them for two days a week and now they just show us showing up every day. That was seven years ago. (laughs) I love that movie. It is. It is a soundtrack that even if you don't like the movie, I dare you to watch that movie and not have a couple of songs in there that just kind of hit you in the guts. There's so much good stuff. And some of it's Chicago bands, too, which I appreciate the Buckinghams and stuff. I mean, it's really cool. Is this uh, is this Green Day? (laughs) (laughs) Why would you sell it to me and not that guy? Because you're not a dweeb like, oh, man. All right, Nick. Last one on your list. Uh, I know. Last one on my list, I want to say, is simultaneously one of the most heartbreaking and hilarious film scenes of all time. It is just a whole lot of tension. It's like borderline horror, 
and comedy and just Alfred fucking Molina. Boogie Nights oh, is one yes. of the greatest soundtracks of all time. Fucking just amazing disco. Tom Jane amazing. got to have his shoes off. Huh? Tom Jane got to have his shoes off. Yeah. Like, it's a great fucking soundtrack. Oh, it's yeah. two parts. You can't go wrong. One of the soundtracks I put on at the restaurant, and everyone will just fucking stand around and listen to it. But PT the, is a great. PT. He likes Martin Scorsese. That's, he knows what's up. He knows how to make he it He learned great. how to do it. Yeah. And there's a scene towards the end of the movie where they go to buy a bunch of cocaine and try to rob Alfred Molina, uh, Mark Wahlberg, and then John C. Riley and Tom Jane. And they're there. They're trying to buy the coke off the guy. And it's based <laughs> off of the Murderland guy murders. But then he gets there and he's talking about mixtapes. He's making cassettes. And he's just like, it's a brilliant way <laughs> to just put three random songs in a movie in order and have it work. And also just like catch the characters off guard. Yeah. My short list had the world Tannenbaums where it was the, she smiled sweetly oh. leads into Ruby Tuesday. But this is so much better because it's, Sister Christian by Night Ranger, <laughs> and you get fucking Alfred Molina like freebasing, going motoring, doing the keyboard things, and then it turns into Jesse's girl, and you just get that long slow zoom in of Mark Wahlberg's face, and then it just stays on him, and his mouth just agape, and you just watch him as he realizes everything in his life that's gone wrong and everything he's lost, yes. and how he wound up there, and then they try to leave, and then fucking. Tom Jane decides he wants what's in the fucking safe. So you're going to the bedroom. You're going to the motherfucking safe. And then, of course, it turns into a crazy shootout while 99 Luft Balloons is playing. <laughs> oh, my God. There's so many emotions. There's so many songs. So many great actors. I like that you went with the dark side of the movie, too, because there's also, like, Three Dog Nights. Like, Mama told me not to come while you just follow, yeah. like, people going into swimming pools in, like, cool 70s, like, the valley, yeah. you know. it's Those are it, all yes. great scenes. Those are the Scorsese tracking shots. Mm. This is Ray Liotta doing lines of coke and freaking out while you start off with jump into the fire and you end with whatever the song ends with. But this is, <laughs> this is truly music as part of the storytelling because you just watch Mark Wahlberg's fucking face. Dirk yeah. Diggler knows he's hit rock bottom and he's listening to Rick Springfield. It's <laughs> amazing. Also. Yeah. I mean, Boogie Nights, as we were saying, like, all of the PT stuff of just how amazing PT is as a director, but also truly has a great taste for soundtracks and Absolutely. how to craft that music so that it's not on the nose. It just gives you interesting feelings about these scenes. And in that same way where sometimes maybe a song like Motorin or something that's supposed that is not the intention <laughs> But what it does to you, it does different things to you depending on where you are and what your mood is. And PT has that amazing ability to, I don't know, mind fuck you with with popular music. It's amazing. Well, I think it also transitions well with the movie I'm going to pick for my third. And then we can just kind of talk. Oh. About yes. Which is that there had been other films in the history of Hollywood that had used popular music. Elvis had been around and such, but in the new school, the very first one that I truly, who really mastered it and is the person who was the one who 
created this entire genre in a way of using popular music as a primary element of your score. And you just mentioned him, which was Mr. Martin Scorsese. And for me, my third and final pick is Goodfellas. And I've never seen it. <laughs> no, never. No. The Derek and the Dominoes Layla is such an amazing piece of music. And it's Goodfellas and their use of popular music through different eras. And as you said, it gets wilder and wilder and the moods that are set through popular music that songs you hear on the radio mean a lot to at least American culture and did for a long time. I think they still do. I still think it's a weird element in our lives where music is obviously still a big portion of our lives, but I think because we have this weird disconnect in our culture that movies is still one of these places where you can find these songs and they pop up and they put feeling inside of your mind, whether you like it or not. And I swear to God, Goodfellas is the most excellent at it. I don't have any other way of describing it. <laughs> the crazy ass song that's playing when he's all coked up at the end, driving around. And I don't know, Nick, what do you think about the soundtrack to Goodfellas? It's beyond anything. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like the main problem with it is that, and it's okay now, but like when the movie came out, you couldn't get all the songs. No. You would need one of those fucking like <laughs> on seven compact discs for one like <laughs> young people don't know what that is, but like like it's one of those things that like fucking Peter Fonda would have to sell like one in the morning in the infomercial. And now you can get all that on Spotify, sure. which is amazing. But like back in the day, it was just like easier just to keep watching the movie to listen to the song. For sure. I remember my mom like freaking out when like literally her at Media Play, which was a store that used to exist, being like the Goodfellas soundtrack and then buying it on CD. Yeah. And then we would listen to it in the van. I'm like, this is awesome. And as you said, too, it's a lot of deep cuts. It's not necessarily... Songs that you've necessarily heard, but it's there. And Scorsese is another music nerd. Yes. These are all kind of music nerd ones. I'm glad yeah. we picked these. They're also kind of about history of music in a way where every single one of them, some of them are directly, but like, for instance, Goodfellas just gives you an idea about pop music in different time periods. Oh, yeah. It's all time period accurate. Yeah. So the older they get as gangsters. The sound changes. I agree. I, Scorsese is always amazing at that. With the exception of occasionally, every so often in one of his, in his movies, one time he'll throw a song in that doesn't make any sense because he likes it. The one that pops out to me is The Wolf of Wall Street has an amazing soundtrack as well, but he plays that Foo Fighters song in it. And every time I'm like, it's supposed to be like 1987 and there's a Foo Fighters song. That's just my own weird. It's my only criticism about that movie. Wait, which Foo Fighters song? When they're on the boat. And they're playing that uh, Times Like These. Oh, yeah, you're right. Right. And they play that while they're on the boat. In like 1987, I'm like, that's what came out like 2000. You know what I'm saying? And he yeah. plays that U2 song in Gangs of New York. But then in Gangs of New York, a lot of it has the pop music of the time, which I even like. Where there's a lot of like the songs that people would be singing and were popular at the time. He's such a great historian. But for some reason, every so often he's like, or maybe to get the movie made, they were like, also, you got to toss one of these in. So the yeah. soundtrack, which is the thing we haven't talked about, but that also soundtracks a little bit are, especially in the 80s and 90s, curated a little bit by the studios themselves to make sure they made a little money on the side, made a little, little, extra, little extra money. That's the wall. 
But I don't know. You have any honorable mentions? Anything you wanted to bring up? I have a few that I just kind of was thinking about, but this movie doesn't really have a soundtrack. There's only two or three songs in the movie. Ooh. But uh, House of the Devil has the greatest music moment in history for me, where it's the actor Jennifer Donahue just dancing around to to one thing leads to another and super <laughs> 80s. This is directed by Ty West and it's almost diegetic. Cause you're listening. She puts on her headphones, yeah. but it's like just blasting in the scene. And then she opens up a door at one point and like it gets slower and then she closes the door and like it's loud. It's, I don't know. It's more cute than anything. And also <laughs> house of the devil is one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Nothing mm-hmm. happens the last 15 minutes. Interesting. Uh, other one, obviously train spotting is yeah. an amazing soundtrack, but Shaun the Dead, Don't Stop Me Now. Oh. When they're fucking beating the piss out of the fat zombie with the pool cues, everything's matching up the lights. Edgar Wright films in general. Yeah. yeah. Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Even that some of the songs were written by Beck to be part of Ba-Bomb, Ba-Bomb, like that some of them are yeah. new songs that are also dope. Really liked all the broken social scene songs they wrote for. Um, oh, yeah. What's the name of that band? Something and the Boys? Yes. Crashing the Boys? Crashing the Boys. Is that Girl or Boy 2? Also, of that same vein, the original soundtrack to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure has a bunch of bands like Big Pig, which was this band from Australia. I love that opening song like that's from a band that's not anywhere. No one in America gives a shit about Big Pig, but I listen to that soundtrack all the time. I had a cassette of that album. I swear to God, the original Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure has an amazing soundtrack, and... They didn't have any money, so they had to. Stephen Herrick literally just picked bands that would sell him stuff, and it's awesome. I mean, Extreme, I think, is the best, the biggest band on that soundtrack, and it's I dug the shit out of it. Real fast, going off of your, mm-hmm. I almost said John Grisham, going off your John Cusack movie. Yeah. Gross Point Blank. Oh, has a great one as has well. Has a great soundtrack, and he spends the entire movie like, killing people going, it's not me. He's having this The whole movie is his existential crisis. And I feel like where this peaks and also the music peaks is where he fights the other assassin in the halls of his old high school. Are you talking about mirror in the bathroom? Ackroyd? plays? No, <laughs> he fights the guy who I trained know. him to do yeah. like Taekwondo or whatever. Yeah. So him and this other dude are fighting and like English beats mirror in the bathroom is playing. I was like, this is fucking next level. This is amazing. Cusack is one of the great music nerds, too, of, like, particularly 80s and 90s, like, ska, punk, rock and roll. I mean, anybody who was, like, actually friends with Joe Strummer, like, yeah, I mean, there's an element. Like, if you got invited to Joe Strummer's funeral, that there's a little bit of cachet there, I suppose. Also, I liked Reality Bites a lot. I liked Reality Bites a lot of the sort of, if you want, kind of some of the cooler grunge stuff that's a little bit off the beaten path. And if you want to see a movie that was Stiller's directorial debut and is one of my favorite romantic comedies and still is kind of not like your usual movies, Reality Bites is up there for me. There's a bunch of movies we've talked about before. Beverly Hills Cop fucking has the Neutron song. Oh, man. Over crashing a tractor trailer through Detroit in the 80s is one of the better openings in the history of cinema. The Goonies, I like that fucking soundtrack. I think The Goonies has an amazing one. Drive of a newer one that we were talking about. But yeah, so there's a lot. There's a lot. But there's just a couple of picks. I know it's a little bit longer of an office hours, but we wanted to toss you guys some. One scene we both agree on. Yes. 
from movie immigrant song from Thor Ragnarok. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Has to be mentioned. Taika Waititi, man. Yeah. How did no one think of this with Thor? Why did it take so long? It's so good. Uh-huh. All right. Well, if you want to hit us up, if you disagree, hit us up on Instagram. Feel free. Well, come here and fight us. Yeah, fight us in the streets. We love you guys. Hit you with a broken TV. Absolutely. Continue the conversation. Please hit us up. I know every soundtrack is unique to everybody. I know it was a little bit maybe old man corner because we're from the 90s. So who gives a shit, bro? Well, we love you guys. Thanks for listening to us in the Blockbuster Film School. I'm Alex Bonner with Mr. Nicholas Sauter as well as Super Producer Brian Taps. See you guys next week.